Nicholas Bornos of Capital Link, I'd like to welcome you to uh, this uh, great panel and the terrific discussion that is going to follow. Uh, our forum today uh, that we're hosting in partnership with City and in cooperation with the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ is focusing on very timely topics. But I think there is no more timely topic and no more critical topic than the topic of sanctions. Uh, and I am honored, delighted, and privileged, frankly, to have with us today uh, John Keogh, who is uh, a terrific moderator, but also uh, representatives from state, treasury, and commerce. Uh, as Jennifer put it before coming uh, online, uh, it is, you know, thank you that the government is communicating with the private sector uh, and what you guys are doing is uh, particularly important. So, John. Jennifer, Dallas, and Matt, thank you. And uh, I turn it over to John. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, or good evening, wh wherever you are in attendance here. My name is John Keogh. I'm a partner in Clyde & Co. Uh, based in their New York office, and I am co-head of the firm's practice uh, in North America on uh, maritime and trading uh, work. Since late February, the Western Allies uh, have coalesced in imposing a rigorous regime of economic sanctions on Russia, as, as everyone is well aware. The US, the UK, and the EU have joined forces uh, in particular and have aligned their sanctions uh, to have a maximum impact. The sanctions have been rapidly increasing day to day. They've been evolving uh, uh, almost on a more than daily basis uh, and in an intense fashion. It has led to uh, many sleepless nights for ship owners, charterers, traders uh, throughout the supply chain and frankly for lawyers as well. And, and there is a bit of a patchwork quilt uh, of sanctions with a rough alignment, but there are some slight differences among the UK, EU and US differences. We have a, a wonderful uh, panel here, an all-star cast really from the United States government to speak to the U.S. perspective on these sanctions. Uh, they will help identify the, the channels and the pathways to compliance and uh, try to answer some questions from the audience, uh, such as, you know, will sanctions even apply to me? And, you know, what's next on the horizon here? So, so starting us up, let me just briefly introduce each of our panelists and then we'll go through uh, uh, with our questions. But first uh, we have Jennifer Chalmers from the State Department. Um, Jennifer is, the maritime, is a maritime sanctions advisor in the Bureau of International Security and Non-Proliferation in the Office of Counter-Proliferation Initiatives. Next we have Matt Edwards, Matt is the director, he's in the US Department of Commerce. He's a director of the Office of Russia, Ukraine, and Eurasia, Global Markets, US and Foreign Commercial Service, International Trade Administration in the Commerce Department. And also uh, we have with us Dallas Woodrum. Dallas is in the Treasury Department's OFAC section. He is the section chief in the Enforcement Division of OFAC. All of our panelists, welcome. Jennifer, perhaps we can kick off with you. Uh, 
tell us, if you would, just briefly with the Russian sanctions that have uh, we've seen blitz through here in the last uh, month or so. What do you see? Could you tell us what work you've been doing to implement and administer those and, and what you perhaps see coming down the pike? Great. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, Nicholas and, and the whole Capital Link Forum crew. Uh, good morning and good evening to all of those uh, attending virtually. Um, delighted to be here. My name is Jen Chalmers. I'm actually a team chief for disruption operations and counter threat transport at the State Department. Um, and wanted to talk with you a little bit today, not only about sort of our sanctions posture overall, but then to get into some of the specifics um, on the Russia-focused uh, uh, efforts that we're taking. Because Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the unprecedented global response has put the topic of sanctions, and especially maritime sanctions, back into the spotlight. Um, today, I wanted to start off by providing you with a general overview of our sanctions posture, um, and then get into some more details of our Russia-related sanctions implementation efforts. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by my Treasury and Commerce colleagues on the line um, who can follow up to give you some more specific detail on some of the maritime specific issues. So I wanted to emphasize the United States uh, continues to implement maritime related sanctions on a variety of countries. We identified the relevant United States and UN, uh, United Nations sanctions authorities and industry best practices in the May 2020 Global Shipping Advisory. Um, that was related to Iran, North Korea, and Syria, and was co-published by the State Department along with Treasury and the Coast Guard. And it was this advisory and the authorities and the guidance it contains that remain the gold standard. Although we do reserve the option to update it to reflect changes in sanctions policy for Russia or any other issue areas as they arise. Um, in terms of Russia specifically, um, as you said, John, it's changing on a daily basis, but in coordination with more than 30 allies and partners representing more than half of the global economy, um, we've taken substantial steps to hold Russia to account for its unjustified and unprovoked war against Ukraine. Together with our allies and partners, we've implemented unprecedented and devastating sanctions that have already imposed and will continue to impose immediate and long-term costs on Russia's financial system and the Russian economy, cutting off Russia's access to critical trade and Putin's ability to project power. These sanctions uh, include Russia's largest financial institution, including Russia's central bank, elites close to Putin, along with their family members and their assets, key Russian officials, including Putin himself, major elements of Russia's defense industry and their disinformation apparatus, as well as further limitations on Russia's ability to raise money abroad. The United States has also imposed a ban on imports of Russia origin oil and gas products, alcohol, seafood, and non-industrial diamonds. The House of Representatives passed with broad support a bipartisan bill that would suspend normal trade, not only with Russia, but also Belarus um, on March 17th. That measure is currently under consideration in the Senate. Taken together, our actions have caused capital flight, 
a weaker ruble, rising inflation, higher borrowing costs, and reduced access to global financial markets. And as you all have seen, major companies continue to just pull out of Russia altogether. Our export controls have also blocked the export to Russia of key technologies necessary for Russia's defense, aerospace, and maritime sectors, oil refining equipment, and luxury goods. These measures taken in partnership with our allies had, have cut off over half of Russia's high-tech imports, such as semiconductors, telecoms, lasers, avionics, and importantly, maritime technology. Our goal is to compel Russia to end the war in, in Ukraine. It's not to harm all businesses that have ties to Russia, and we have taken some significant steps to mitigate unintended consequences where possible. I think my colleague uh, Dallas from Treasury OFAC will be getting into some of those details in his presentation. Um, now we have implemented a number of maritime specific uh, sanctions and I think one of the um, you know, important pieces to this is that we're collaborating to not only harmonize these sanctions across different governments, but we're also coordinating on enforcement. The first category of sanctions relates to cargo and tanker vessels, and the second category relates to yachts owned or linked to designated Russian oligarchs. On February 22nd of this year, Treasury had designated um, uh, Promvia's public joint stock company, which I'll refer to as PSB Bank. Um, they designated it under Executive Order 14024 for its ties to Russia's defense sector. As part of that action, Treasury had identified five vessels uh, owned by PSB Leasing, a designated subsidiary of PSB Bank. The, of those vessels, the Linda and the Pegas were oil tankers, the Fezco ships were container ships, and the Baltic leader is a roll-on, roll-off cargo ship. At the time of designation, the Baltic leader was in the French port of Rouen, but because the EU had also sanctioned PSB and the sanctions applied to PSB subsidiaries, French authorities were able to intercept the ship and divert her back to port where she remains seized today. We continue to closely track the other four PSB-linked uh, container and tanker ships, and we're asking all relevant countries to take appropriate actions with respect to these vessels as permitted under their domestic authorities. I'm, I'm sure you all are aware of the global effort to sanction uh, and fine and block yachts around the world that are owned by designated Russian oligarchs. The United, itself, the United States has identified as blocked property two of these yachts, the Tango owned by Victor Vexelberg and the uh, Dilbar owned by Alisher Uzmanov. Both vessels are currently detained in Spain and Germany uh, respectively. Uh, so at last count from my understanding, uh, at least 11 yachts had been detained in total and Finland just announced last week that they had detained 21 additional Russian yachts, bringing the total up to about 33. Jennifer, the, I, I, excuse me, Jennifer, are there, are there any task forces that have been organized? I understand there are at least one or two uh, that have, are working with other countries to align the, uh, the sanctions 
efforts and enforcement. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Yes. State Department is actually working around the clock in close partnership with the Department of Justice on DOJ's led uh, klepto capture task force. And we're also working with Treasury colleagues through the Treasury led repo task force, which stands for uh, Russian elites, proxies and oligarchs task force. We're engaging partner governments, we're engaging companies, flag registries, insurance companies, classification societies, just about anybody with a connection um, to the Russian yachts, um, and also any of the tankers or uh, cargo ships or container vessels that um, have been wrapped up in the sanctions thus far. So is that, is that part of an effort to try to make sure that this sort of the global net of sanctions doesn't have any holes in it to try to keep an aligned approach there? Right. Sanctions are only uh, as good as the the weakest link. And we have discovered the reason that we are trying to collaborate with all of our partners around the world to harmonize um, not only the sanctions lists and how we enforce them is to make sure that, uh, you know, maximum multilateral pressure is being applied um, to to sort of affect financial pain um, on on the Russian government and their economy. I mean, you know, if if Putin does not decide to change course, um, we're going to continue to work with all of our allies and partners to impose further costs on Russia and the companies and individuals that enable the war. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll close with that by saying that, you know, like you said at the beginning, um, our, our sanctions measures are, are evolving on a daily basis. And I think one of the most important things that we wanna do is to work with all of the private sector um, companies that could be affected by this to make sure that we're clearly communicating what the sanctions are and what those implications are um, and doing our best to communicate as well that we're collaborating with um, all of our partners and allies to make sure that those sanctions measures are, are harmonized as much as possible um, and that our enforcement uh, through the through DOJ's klepto capture task force and through Treasury's um, repo task force, uh, th those are uh, those are USG wide uh, efforts underway that are designed to be um, you know closely coordinated with G7 and EU and the other partners around the world that are that are also like minded and have en enacted sanctions. Um, with that, I'll, I'll close my remarks and I'm happy to turn it over to uh, Matt from Thanks. Commerce unless they're, uh, and can answer questions uh, sort of at the end of the panel. Thank you. Sure, we'll come back to that with some questions, Jen. Thanks very much for that overview. And, and now Matt, in, in general, could you tell us from the Commerce Department's perspective, what sort of new risks do you see for US exporters in particular considering ongoing business with Russia? Well, thank you, John, uh, and uh, I, I assume everybody can hear me all right. Let me know if not. Uh, but I'm I'm here representing the Eurasia Regional Trade Policy Office within the Commerce Department within uh, an entity called the International Trade Administration. It's one of our bureaus. Uh, the ITA includes a unit of industry experts. It includes a unit of topical experts on matters such as customs and trade barriers and trade remedies. It includes a division of regional experts on different markets in different parts of the world based here in Washington, D.C. That's where I'm from. 
uh, and it also includes our U.S. and Foreign Commercial Service, uh, which includes our commercial attaches at American embassies and consulates abroad, as well as our network of offices and cities throughout the United States. And I want to quickly recognize Anastasia Zenius in our Manhattan office, who put me in touch with the Capital Link Forum organizer. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm joining my Treasury and state colleagues here to give you some general information on some of the actions that the U.S. government has taken in response to Russia's assault on Ukraine. Uh, Jennifer's given a very good overview, uh, but most importantly from my standpoint is I want to share some information resources that might help you and your clients navigate uh, some of the commercial relationships and navigate some of the due diligence in what is a very complex and uh, dynamic situation. Uh, you know, Jennifer uh, and uh, Dallas from, uh, from Treasury will say more about the sanctions uh, that are under authorities of the, uh, the, the Treasury Office of Foreign Asset Control. Uh, that's the agency that administers some of the most far-reaching sanctions in terms of their impact on trade. Uh, but I first just want to acknowledge uh, that in the U.S. government, we really do appreciate how far-reaching these sanctions are, uh, and I want to acknowledge the heavy burden of responsibility that that places upon industry to keep up with this very uh, rapidly shifting landscape in terms of what you and what your clients are and aren't allowed to do. Uh, this is the first time in living memory that such a sweeping set of sanctions coordinated with other trade partners has been applied against a country as large and as integrated into the global trade community as Russia was. Uh, and just for some perspective on that, to put it in context, uh, despite what had been a deteriorating uh, relationship and a shrink shrinking trade relationship between the United States and Russia throughout the past eight years, uh, Russia nevertheless remained a top 40 export market for American products all the way up through 2021 accounting for over $6 billion in U.S. exports last year. Uh, similarly, and, and even more so, uh, Russia was a top 20 source of imports into the United States. Uh, our imports from Russia last year were worth more than $29 billion. That made them our 18th largest source of, uh, of imports from abroad. Uh, those totals on both the import and the export side are certainly going to fall sharply in 2022. Uh, but there is, uh, you know, there's a uh, there's a slice of business that right now is not subject to sanctions, and that's where a lot of uh, of questions are going to lie. So I, I bring this up to again acknowledge the considerable impact that the conflict and the uh, international response and the U.S. response has on our exporters, our importers, and our shippers. Um, so, so what are some is, of the new risks that, that we're facing? What do you see as some of these new risks that an export exporter in the U.S. should take into account, Matt? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that in a moment. Um, uh, uh, let me say a bit about where the Commerce Department fits into the sanctions landscape. Uh, I will, I will uh, say less on describing uh, uh, sanctions as they now stand and more on emphasizing the information resources that companies should be checking regularly. And why is that? Uh, it's because the sanctions landscape is evolving uh, so very dynamically and rapidly. As, as Jennifer indicated, uh, it's different today than what it was five weeks ago. 
Uh, five weeks ago, it was quite different than what it was even five months ago. And five months ago, it was a fair bit different than it was five years before that. Uh, so uh, not only the US, but the European Union and other countries have had really an escalating series of sanctions on Russia since 2014 uh, in response to several things, in response to the earlier incursions into Ukraine, in response to cyber attacks in past years, poisonings of dissidents, election meddling, and all those measures are still in place, uh, but they've been vastly broadened in the past five weeks. Uh, so it, it's really conceivable that the sanctions that are in place today could look very different uh, even a month from now or even sooner than that. Uh, so my number one takeaway uh, for anyone listening and watching, uh, the three of us can outline the sanctions that exist today, but as a practical matter for the purposes of your due diligence, you need to check every day uh, and you need to check every transaction. Uh, there are some sanctions or restrictions that apply to sectors or industries. Some of them apply to particular products. Some of them apply to particular entities, companies, or organizations, or even uh, individuals. Uh, and even if there are prospective transactions that you're supporting that are not affected by restrictions on the industries, the products, the end users, or the individuals, it's possible that some of the banks that have previously served as intermediaries for those transactions are now subject to sanctions. Uh, so in terms of, uh, uh, key uh, key uh, uh, sanctions that uh, people should uh, should be aware of uh, under commerce authorities uh, that result in increased risk uh, for anybody potentially violating these sanctions. Um, on February 24th, the Commerce Department, through our Bureau of Industry and Security, implemented uh, additional export controls that restrict Russia's access to certain technologies and items needed to sustain its military capabilities. Uh, those controls primarily target exports to uh, anyone supporting the defense sector, the aerospace and aviation sector, the maritime sectors, uh, and they include uh, specific restrictions on sales of semiconductors, uh, computer technology, information technology, uh, telecommunications, information security equipment, lasers and sensors, uh, to name a few uh, uh, categories. Uh, on March- Are there 7th, any wind down periods or general licenses, Matt, involved with those sectors? Uh, there are, uh, that's the general answer. Uh, the more precise answer is that those wind downs uh, are very specific. They, they are, are very specific in terms of uh, uh, the, the products concerned, uh, the, the entities involved, uh, they're very situational dependent. Uh, uh, most of those uh, affected transactions are administered by the Office of Foreign Asset Control and Treasury. Uh, some of them are administered by the Bureau of Industry and Security here in the Commerce Department. And I'm gonna give people at the end uh, uh, some, uh, some contact links. Uh, and I, I hope, uh, uh, Capital Link will be able to make these widely available uh, to all the participants uh, so that you can have these. Uh, I'll put them up as slides in a moment, but uh, uh, hope that you can make these widely available because I think they're going to be a very important uh, resource in days ahead, in months ahead uh, for companies just trying to do their due diligence. And if, uh, if we have lawyers in the audience trying to advise their clients. 
Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Dallas, let's let's turn to you. Treasury and OFAC's position is, you know, is right in the middle of all of this. Of course, uh, uh, the State Department is provides foreign policy guidance and direction, and, and OFAC is usually charged with the overall administration of sanctions. Tell us, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your initial overview comments on the Russia sanctions and what you're seeing on a daily basis, and maybe a little bit of a preview of what we might anticipate in coming days? Great. Well, um, thank you again for this opportunity to join you today. Um, as John noted, I'm Dallas Woodrum. I'm Section Chief in our Enforcement Division here at OFAC. Um, and just as a brief overview of OFAC, for those who don't know, um, we are the agency that administers and enforces economic and trade sanctions based on U.S. foreign policy and national security goals. Um, these sanctions, of course, prohibit trade and financial transactions with uh, targeted foreign governments, individuals, and entities. Um, my division of OFAC, specifically the Enforcement Division, um, conducts investigations of violations of U.S. sanctions, um, including imposing civil penalties. Um, and, and another important part of our day-to-day -day job is to provide outreach to the private sector, such as this event, um, to create uh, knowledge and awareness of our sanctions programs. So I thought it might be helpful just to kind of frame things up. You know, one of the main questions we get is um, who's required to comply with U.S. sanctions? And with respect to our Russia sanctions that we have imposed in the recent weeks, um, all, quote, U.S. persons, quote, are required to comply with the sanctions we've imposed. And this term U.S. persons include U.S. citizens and permanent residents, wherever they're located, companies incorporated in the United States, as well as their foreign branches, and any person who is in the United States. Um, and additionally, non-U.S. persons and companies may also be subject to U.S. sanctions jurisdiction um, if there's a transaction that involves a U.S. person or U.S. nexus. So, for example, our sanctions would generally prohibit a U.S. ship management company from arranging for a vessel to ship goods to a sanctioned oligarch on our specially designated nationals list. Um, these restrictions apply even if that vessel performing the delivery is owned by a non-U.S. subsidiary because the U.S. ship management company is prohibited itself from engaging in those transactions. Um, yeah, as another example, a non-U.S. vessel owner could be held liable for violating U.S. sanctions if it has operations staff in the U.S. arranging for the shipment. Um, and it, again, sometimes um, transactions may be in U.S. dollars, and that could involve a U.S. correspondent bank in the transaction. So all this is just to give you an example of where sort of U.S. jurisdiction can go, even if you know, the, the specific entity doing the business is not a non-U.S. company. If there are other U.S. touch points, you know, we have the ability to assert jurisdiction. Um, you know, with that said, um, I think it'd be helpful just to give kind of a follow-up on Jen's remarks earlier about our, our broadly our categories of sanctions that we've imposed against Russia. Um, you know, given our limited amount of time, I'm going to focus on really five categories of actions um, that, that seem most relevant to the shipping industry. We've done a, an incredible amount of sanctions actions, but I only can, given the time, 
provided, it can only address each at a really high level, recognizing that there may be nuances to each of our sanctions restrictions with respect to Russia. And as Matt noted, this area is extremely fast moving. So it's important to keep up with our sanctions actions. And so sort of the first bucket of, of, of sanctions that, that are relevant here is that on February 21st, President Biden signed an executive order that prohibits transactions um, with the so-called Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic in Eastern Ukraine. Um, among other prohibitions, these restrictions prohibit exports and re-exports to these two areas, as well as imports into the United States. Um, if you've followed the Russia sanctions space for a number of years, you'll recognize that these sanctions are very similar to what we imposed in, against Crimea um, back in 2014. Um, the second sort of set of actions is we blocked, uh, OFAC has blocked some of the largest financial institutions in Russia, as well as Russian oligarchs, elites, government officials, and family members that are close to Vladimir Putin. And we did this by adding these persons to the specially designated nationals and blocked persons list, also known as the SDN list. Um, as Jen mentioned before, um, included on the SDN list is Russian bank PSB and five vessels owned by it. Um, we also included se several notable oligarchs, including Viktor Vexelberg, Alistair Uzmanov, and Genady Tymchenko, and certain yachts we've identified as being owned by them. And the result of this, these designations on the SDN list are that U.S. persons are generally prohibited from engaging in any transactions with these individuals, entities, and vessels, which includes any financial and trade transactions. Um, and these restrictions, importantly, also extend to companies that are owned 50% or more by these SDNs, um, regardless if such entities are actually listed on our SDN list. Dallas, can I, can I interrupt you there for a moment? Could you perhaps explain for the audience just a little bit of that 50 the commonly referred to 50% rule. You know, there are a number of oligarchs use layers of shell companies to disguise their beneficial ownership. And tell us if you would just sort of briefly what that rule means and, and what those in the audience and the shipping and trading should be doing to investigate their counterparties in respect to that rule. Yeah, so the 50% rule um, briefly states that um, any entity that is owned 50% or more um, by one or more SDNs, either in the individual or in the aggregate, are considered to be blocked, even if they're not on the SDN list. So that creates an obligation to ensure that your counterparty is not only on the SDN list, but is not owned 50% or more by an SDN. And you know, one of the challenges we understand, and we're, we're very cognizant of it, is that companies face, when determining when a sanctioned individual or entity owns 50% or more, there's often um, challenges specifically with re related to Russia because um, you know, Russian oligarchs often use multiple shell companies to disguise ownership. Um, and in terms of you know, the best steps that companies can take, um, you know, we, we do rely on U.S. persons to do their own due diligence to ensure they're not transacting with a sanctioned entity um, or an entity owned 50% or more, um, which requires, you know, a, a risk-based assessment based on who you're doing business with and what geographic areas you're dealing with. Um, 
as mentioned previously, you know, we've 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 taken action to um, create designations of people of entities that are owned fifty percent or more, um, and we're endeavoring to add additional subsidiaries to the relevant sanctions lists in order to level the playing field um, and be able to identify these. But you know, it all comes down to as well as knowing your customer. Um, and knowing your counterparties and ensuring that the benefit you actually understand who the beneficial owner is. Um, and that's a risk-based approach that each company has to do based on its own um, risk profile. Dallas, what, what can you preview for us uh, that, that might be coming down the, uh, down the pike in the next few days or, or in the coming week even with with respect to additional designations, subsidiaries? I mean, can we expect to see more activity in that space and clarification? Um, yeah, I mean, we are, we really rely on industry output input from um, regarding our sanctions and what effect they're having. Um, and so you'll notice that we've, at this point, have had over a thousand FAQs, not just, you know, relate to Russia, but over a thousand FAQs. And a lot of that comes from um, questions that we get from the industry. And so as, as the industry is um, working to comply with our sanctions, we, we rely on their input to, to issue additional general licenses and FAQs um, to provide additional guidance. Um, I really can't speak of specific sanctions actions that we may be taking. It's, it really depends on you know, the facts on the ground. And um, you know, that's something that you know, is, a, is a constantly evolving um, area right now, and it's just important to keep, keep kind of keep up with with our sanctions actions, particularly if you have business in Russia. Understood. Uh, so the message is it's fluid. Uh, keep checking and and uh, stay tuned. I suppose. Jennifer, sure. is, is there is there anything that on a again from a high altitude perspective that you can share uh, with what client what our what our audience ought to be doing to expect and check on future sanctions in the coming weeks. Right. I, I am not at liberty to reveal any you know, specific sanctions actions that are being contemplated. But I think, like I said earlier, um, you know, if, the, if Russia continues to prosecute the war, we're going to be looking at ways to degrade the ability of the companies and entities that are enabling the war. Um, you've seen us enact sanctions across the broadest swath of um, targets that are not only related to Russia's military, um, but, also, but also other um, sort of sectors that are designed to impose uh, economic pain. I think like uh, Matt and Dallas have said, it's not just about doing your list-based approach to identify who's on the SDN list, but I think um, the, the main message that we're trying to get across is that um, in order to mitigate sanctions exposure risk, you really do need to know, know your customer, um, know the counterparty. We, you know, the U.S. government can't be the, the sort of, um, we, we do our best to try to help in specific cases. And of course, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, situation dependent uh, situations that are you know, sanction situations that are evolving. Um, as Matt and Dallas have said, there are co there's contact information for um, for commerce and treasury to try to help private industry um, figure out particular situations. But 
the, the onus is upon um, all the companies out there to do a really great job of, of you know, customer due diligence um, to avoid getting in those situations in the first place. So like we've all said, it's, it's really fluid. We're all working around the clock to not only coordinate on sanctions enforcement, but to make sure that we're being as responsive as, as possible to um, private sector partners that are looking to try to understand all the complexities. Um, so uh, just consider us, you know, wanting to help uh, from that perspective, um, but not being able to preview specific sanctions actions at this time. Thanks. Thanks, Jen. Matt, would you like to weigh in on that point? Yeah, just following up on that, uh, uh, We've, we've talked a little bit about some of the informational resources that are out there. I just, I'd like to put them up on the screen and ask Andy to put them up while I, while I say a bit about them, uh, just to give people a, a sense of, of places where you can go uh, for yourself, for your company, for your clients, uh, to try and get a handle on things as they change. Uh, the, the top bullet at the screen, at uh, the top of the screen there is something called the Consolidated Screening List. Uh, this is probably the single best tool in the U.S. government in order to uh, be able to uh, do, a, do a search of the entities with whom you're doing business, do a search of the counterparties, and get a sense of whether or not they might be subject to some form of sanction. Uh, secondly, uh, Dallas mentioned uh, that the Office of Foreign Asset Control has a, a frequently asked questions uh, link uh, on their website. Uh, and that, that uh, set of FAQs, as he said, is over a thousand questions long now, uh, a thousand questions and answers. Uh, so uh, I think it's very useful for, uh, for companies to, uh, to have that website bookmarked and, uh, and uh, read through it and, and be familiar with what's there uh, and check back. And you can actually register with OFAC to receive updates in your email um, uh, from the Treasury Department whenever there are significant sanctions updates. Finally, uh, from my own agency, uh, down at the bottom of the page, I want to flag the, uh, the Commerce Department's Bureau of Industry and Security, or BIS. Uh, that's specific to uh, uh, export controls, uh, restrictions on products that you may or may not export to Russia. Uh, there's, uh, there's specific guidance uh, that they've put up and refreshed uh, concerning uh, Russia and Belarus. Uh, Annie, if I could invite you to, to flip that forward one, uh, uh, as I mentioned, you can get uh, email notifications from OFAC if you registered for that. Also check the Federal Register. Uh, you can get updates uh, on U.S. government actions on Russia there. Uh, and then finally, our, our bureau the, uh, at the Commerce Department, the International Trade Administration, uh, we're also a resource. Uh, we've got a, uh, a web page on Russia. And uh, if you go to the very end there, the last page, Annie, uh, I will, uh, you've got my direct email. You've got uh, an email address and uh, telephone uh, contact information for our Bureau of Industry and Security Export Counselors. And you've got the OFAC hotline uh, where you can reach out to uh, to folks on, on Dallas's team. So I will. Uh, uh, we can take those uh, uh, off the screen in a moment, Annie. But I'll uh, uh, invite Capital Link to make these available uh, to everyone who's registered, just so you've got it. Uh, because uh, you know, as we as we've all said, it's a very fluid situation. You do have uh, just circling back to the question you asked about risk, John. 
Uh, there's certainly the risk that financial intermediaries might refuse to process transactions. There's the prospect uh, of higher costs for ancillary services like insurance. Uh, there's a, a significant risk of non-performance on the uh, part of Russian counterparties and the prospect for American companies to ob obtain uh, redress through, uh, through the legal system in Russia has, has shrunk pretty dramatically. So these are all things you need to uh, bear in mind and be on top of. Wondering about the last five minutes here. Thanks, Matt, that's really helpful. And I know we already have at least one request to, to try to access those slides. So uh, those are very helpful resources to highlight. Thank you. Um, you know, one, we have a couple of questions. One uh, person asked, how would sanctions come into play if your your vessel is loaded with a cargo uh, stuck in the in a Ukrainian port at the time sanctions have been applied? Um, do anybody, perhaps Dallas, you want to comment on uh, you know a generalized answer to that? Yeah, no, I'm happy to take that question. Um, and so, as I noted earlier, there's um, you know there's a ban on um, imports from Russia of oil and petroleum products. And I don't know, you know, if this is petrol, you know, I don't have a lot of information here on this question, whether it's no. Russian origin or not, but, you know, assuming it's Russian origin oil and it comes, um, you know, under our sanctions, there is a general license um, and it's general license 16 that authorizes um, imports that were authorized uh, or that were pursuant to contracts that were signed before March 8th. And that general license stays in effect until April 22nd, I believe. Um, and so, you know, there there are, and this is just a good example of you really have to get into the facts of the situation. Who's involved? Are there SDNs, sanctioned parties involved? Um, are you, you know, invoking one of our prohibitions related to imports from Russia? And if so, is there a general license that applies? And you know, it, some of this can be very nuanced and complex. So. Um, you know, it's really important to, you know, if, if you have questions specifically, reach out to our feedback line, um, get legal um, counsel as well. Um, you know, the sanctions are nuanced um, and it's really important to, to uh, review the resources we have on our website to make sure that your situation is covered. That's helpful. Another question is, is I think likewise sort of fact dependent, uh, but but it raises a general point of uh, exploring the supply chain and your counterparties. And, it, and if you've got Russian oil that perhaps has become uh, oil from another country has been blended or, you know, or uh, there have been ship-to-ship uh, -ship transfer operations uh, or anything that causes blending of product, you know, how do you identify that in the supply chain, and, and maybe you just want to comment on the, the degree of due diligence that OFAC expects in that regard. Yeah, I mean, on the, the questions on blending and a lot of these questions related to oil are, you know, extremely complex because oil can be blended at different places. Um, I would refer you to, we do have FAQs um, related to substantial transformation of oil. So if oil from you, from Russia is substantially transformed. There's a question on that specific situation in our FAQs. Um, with regards to blending, um, you know, I, I think it's important to do your KYC research to know who, who's involved in the transaction. And if there is a potential 
restricted prohibited party involved or it's potentially Russian crude oil. It, you know, it, it requires additional due diligence um, and perhaps um, further outreach to OFAC to kind of ensure that your transaction is allowed. Don't put your head in the sand. Right. Well, we, we've, we're down to about two minutes left. Could we try sort of just a lightning round here from each of you uh, with, with just a very brief closing remarks? Uh, Matt, could you start us off? Yeah, thank you, John. Um, I, again, uh, uh, my my two takeaways uh, uh, that I want everybody to uh, to just keep in mind as you go forward is uh, uh, number one, uh, whatever we tell you today, the landscape uh, is uh, subject to uh, change on uh, very little notice. Uh, so uh, uh, just because you were able to consummate a transaction with no problems last week. Uh, that is not a guarantee that uh, that you can plan on doing the same thing three weeks out. Uh, it's not a guarantee that there will necessarily be a, uh, a general license or a wind down uh, if new sanctions are issued that do affect uh, that particular transaction. So uh, uh, please uh, continue to check back. And then my second takeaway is uh, do avail yourself of those uh, uh, resources uh, that the U.S. government makes available online. Uh, there's a there's a tremendous amount of information out there. Uh, may not answer every single question, but you've got uh, you'll have contact information for the offices that can help you get to those particular answers. There are a lot of people calling right now, so uh, uh, we do understand that there may be a, there may be a wait, but people are working hard to get back to our uh, our business clientele just as quickly as possible. Uh, thank okay. you. Thank you. Jen in Dallas, last quick closing highlights. Hey, I know I have one minute. I would say just echoing Matt's points. And then also that, you know, we're here to help you avail yourself of the, of the contact information. I would also put a plug to keep, keep please keep meticulous records, especially for STS transfers. We're going to want to make sure that everybody has their AIS uh, transponders on because keeping uh, adhering to IMO rules and regulations uh, for for AIS uh, always helps ensure that everything's above board. Thanks yes. so much for having us. Thank you, Dallas. Okay, well, um, thank you again for the opportunity to speak. Um, I would say that the private sector is really um, what causes our sanctions programs to succeed or not, um, and so. This outreach is like extremely important, and I'll reiterate how important it is for us to hear what questions you have and what additional guidance would be helpful. So we have a feedback, OFAC feedback email address, OFAC underscore feedback at treasury.gov. Um, and so I'd encourage you to reach out to OFAC um, regarding specific issues or questions that you have. Um, again, these sanctions are extremely complex and nuanced. Um, there's many restrictions we did not talk about today. There's restrictions on the Russian central bank, debt and equity restrictions on different entities export import restrictions, we just don't have enough time. So it's important if you do have Russia related business to really get acquainted with, with what we've done because there's a lot of touch points that could be here. Great, thank you to all of our panelists. Nicholas, it looks like we're out of time. So I just thank everyone who's watched us and thank you again, Capital Link for the opportunity. Thank you to all of you, terrific panel. Thank you so much, thank you. Take care all.